Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Group Answers Podcast, a weekly show designed to resource, train, and encourage small group leaders. Each episode considers current trends and resources, as well as timeless truths and methods of discipleship. It's hosted by Brian Daniel and Chris Surratt. Now, enjoy the show. This is Brian Daniel, a more toned down version from the last time when I was admonished for coming in a little hot. And at this point, I would like to welcome everybody back to the Group Answers show with Chris Surratt and regular recurring guest, I guess we would say special guest, appearing as himself, Ken Braddy. Guys, good to see you and good to be back on the the podcast. Welcome, Ken. And thanks, Brian, for the more subdued kind of entrance there that's what the people want don't have to put the compressor on for this episode (laughs) just as long as you don't lose the the normal brian daniel energy i want that (laughs) with just a little less volume yeah i get that but ken as we all know is a discipleship specialist um director level at lifeway christian resources i think officially ken you are director of sunday school is that is that the official title is that what we're going with It's about half of the official title. It's uh, Director of Sunday School and Network Partnership, so it barely fits on a business card. And what's your new podcast series that uh, you've got the first season has dropped and you're working on season two? That is correct. Yeah, we dropped the first season in February of 2023. It's called The Disciple, or it's called Disciple Making in Community with Ken Brady. And it's a little unusual, Brian, because... You know, we don't release these, you know, every other week or every week. Uh, these are kind of thinking about, you know, how Netflix does it. We drop them in seven episode seasons, but every episode has a very similar theme. So that first season, the first seven episodes all deal with uh, enlisting and onboarding and retaining new workers, because that's one of the big things we hear right now in the church world is, that's a problem. It's a big challenge post COVID. So we aimed that first season that direction, but season two will uh, drop sometime in early August, seven new episodes. And those will all deal with the topic of starting new groups. Uh, as we go into fall, it's a perfect time for churches to launch those new groups. So we'll deal with that in season two. I'm just curious, Ken, with season one, do you feel like there was just one guest that stood out from all the other guests during that season, maybe around show four or five, you feel like somebody kind yeah, of I see where this is going. Yeah. Do, do uh, you, a guy yeah. named Chris was on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Don't That's make it right. worse. Was, he, was, he was brilliant. See, I forgot I was on there. I was really just, <laughs> I deal with this on a weekly basis, Ken, and you are not helping. I understand. Sorry. The rider just gets more and more demanding. Oh man. When are we getting the t-shirts? We, the group answers tour t-shirts. We talked about that like three years ago. That'd be, that's a great idea. Never happened. Well, Ken, I think the podcast is genius. I don't know where you came up with that idea, uh, but 
I'm glad I'm glad that it has finally come to fruition and we're excited about season two dropping right before the fall. And uh, as a part of Ken's job, I think a lot of you that are regular listeners that come back and subject yourselves to this kind of thing on a weekly basis are familiar with Ken. And uh, he is on the road a lot and in and out of churches, in and out of conversations, also in and out of different events where he's leading different breakouts and uh, and keynotes in different places. So Ken being in and out of so many conversations and exposed to so many church practices as we continue to evolve, which, by the way, as the recording of this show, COVID is officially over. I saw a headline for that. It is being declared a non-threat mm-hmm. at this point, which I thought we'd already done that. But I'm glad that we're finally here. And so now in this world, Ken Brady, tell us a little bit about the most interesting thing that maybe you've heard recently. So um, I think the thing that comes to mind, Brian, is that the groups, uh, the leaders, the pastors that I'm interacting with, there seems to be now a very common theme. And that is that I'm starting to hear we are now officially back to pre-COVID attendance levels. And the second part of that is that there is a growing number who are also saying, uh, and we are now in our groups starting to exceed the number of people that are in our worship services, which is a little unusual. I've served wow. one church in the three that I've served that actually did that. But uh, the other two churches I served, you know, we were always in groups around 10% less uh, than the worship attendance. And so uh, this is, this signals, I think, something really good for groups and the future of groups and probably gives us an indication that people really long longed for community during COVID when we were so separated. And now they're reacting and there's freedom and they are coming back to churches and people that watched online out of curiosity and found churches and participated online. They have now decided to come physically to the church campus, and now they're checking out groups. And so I think it's a great story. I have a question on that that stat. So more people attending groups than the Sunday morning worship. Now, are these groups that are primarily on Sunday morning? So are there people coming to a group and then leaving before worship? Or I, I'm just fascinated by that. Yeah, Chris, these are groups that would, uh, you know, would be adjacent to the worship service. And so they would either meet, you know, the hour or so before a service or an hour or so after a service. And so they're, you know, definitely connected on the church calendar on a Sunday morning. Interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, my world is groups that meet outside of the church during the week. Right. And so, you know, I'm familiar with like Saddleback. They they have more people attending their group than they do this Sunday week in, week in service. But to do that with groups that are actually on Sunday, that's fascinating to me. I think part of what's fueling that are people like my my oldest son and his wife and my two grandkids. They just came into town and were here for my younger son's wedding this last weekend. And uh, they they tried the uh, off-campus experience uh, before they had children. That worked fine. But when the grandkids came along uh, and then COVID hit, uh, you know, they did not have that group experience for the kids. And so my grandkids have kind of grown up not really being in church. Uh, they're just now getting back uh, to what group life can be like in a church. And so for my son and, and daughter-in-law, uh, the convenience of being able to come as a family and have everybody in a group 
and then experience worship and then, you know, move on with their, you know, their Sunday afternoon is very appealing to these young families. So I think that's partly, you know, part of what's driving it. Am I understanding this right, though? In that scenario, what we're saying is there is a greater number of people that would participate in the group uh, Bible study and not go to worship. Yeah, it could be that, uh, you know, they are just, you know, having that group experience and then they are leaving. But I'm wondering if maybe uh, those that are in you know a group experience are then choosing not to go to worship because they can watch that online. And perhaps they are serving because of the tremendous need that the church has right now in student and kid and preschool ministries for for new workers. Hmm. And that takes them out of worship. As a logistic question, do you find that Sunday school, let's, let's assume that a church has two services. Do you find that groups do better if you have them before the first service and before the second service or just between the two services or one following the second service. I'm just curious about assimilation about getting people to do both. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And a, a, an evergreen topic for church staffs that have to juggle the decisions, the philosophical decisions about their Sunday morning experience. And, uh, and I recently heard uh, a fellow say something like this, Chris, which makes great sense. He said, you know, if we have our groups that let's say our worship service, uh, you know, is the first thing that we do, let's say nine o'clock and then groups are second at 1030. He said, it makes it really easy, convenient and, and nice to be able to say at the end of that worship service, Hey, all you guests stop by the, you know, guest center. We've got a study guide for you. We've got you know, dozens of groups that are meeting and we can literally walk you to class in just a couple of minutes. You and your family stay with us one more hour while you're already here. Hmm. And, uh, and churches that have that schedule, I think are having really good success in getting people to be assimilated at a higher rate than churches that have the opposite schedule. Because if that's the case and your groups are first, and then the worship service is second, then your pitch becomes, hey, guests, hope you'll come back in seven days and do this again and let us try to put you in a group. Well, a lot can happen in seven days. Mm-hmm. Schedules change, moods change, you know, they find another church they want to visit. And so I think in that first scenario, the idea is let's strike while that iron is hot. And so if a church can, uh, you know, have their groups, you know, meeting after the service, it's probably not a bad thing. Yeah, and I've always thought that that's a huge advantage for Sunday school. If you have the facilities and you have the room, even if you don't call it Sunday school, but if you offer a group experience, Mm -hmm. they're already there. You're already capturing them. You know, they don't have to chicken out before Tuesday night or anything like that. They can just go straight from worship into a group. So yeah, I think that's a a huge advantage. And if I was doing two services, I might figure out how to do another uh, hour after the second service, just to even capture those people. So two and two, Chris, that's what you're, it'd be two and two, two and two. Yeah. 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 That'd be interesting. Well, I got to tell you a quick 30 second story. When Tammy and I first moved to Nashville and we're looking for a, a new church home, uh, we attended a church where the worship service was at 9 or 9.30, followed by their group ministry. We had not had great experiences in groups leading to that up to that point. 
Uh, we had been in groups where, you know, people just didn't talk to us much. They had their cliques and their friends and it was just difficult. And so uh, we went to this church, had a great experience in worship, but because our previous group experiences had not been stellar, I was just not in the mood that day to stick around and be you know, rejected one more time. And so we were literally in the foyer of the church, headed out the door to go uh, to the car after the service. And lo and behold, if Pastor Mike didn't see us from the pulpit, <laughs> chased us down after the service. And right when I was fixing to hit the crash bar on the door, uh, put his hand on my shoulder. And he's like, hey, guys, don't wait. Uh, don't leave. He goes, let me take you to one of our our, our life groups. And I'm like, OK, great. Another experience, you know, that uh, won't be awesome. But uh, that was not the case. And so uh, we uh, were taken downstairs by the pastor found a great group. And within three weeks, we had joined that church. And so there was great, great, uh, you know, power in that post-service group ministry because it gave us that place to stick, you know, before we left the church and, you know, maybe tried another another church the next week. And so there is some benefit to that for sure. So, so that's another strategy, forced group <laughs> attendance. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, you pastors who are sitting out there, just uh, head to the door and, uh, you know, lock it. Yeah, so they there can't even go. get out and just uh, point them to a group. I that reminds it. me of that, the capture scene and that classic 1970s movie, Planet of the Apes. You could have oh, yeah. ushers <laughs> on horseback <laughs> with whatever they were using in that movie, just catching people that uh, were trying to get out of there. All right. Let's see if I can, let's see if I can phrase this right, Ken. And, and Chris, this would be for you too. And just what you guys are hearing. Um, this is a question about, about context and, um, and as much as anything, this question is, is this a thing? Is this something that, that you see that is also happening? It seems to me that we are in an unprecedented era of migration with people moving around. And there's a few reasons for that. One is it's really easy these days. Uh, jobs being more remote. I think people are more transient. Uh, you've got people that are less I, the, the word I want, the word I'm going to use is loyal, but I don't really mean that, but less committed to, you know, a particular employer and willing to move, particularly in the younger, in the younger crowd. It just seems really fluid to me. And then you've got what I will just refer to as the political overlay with states making some decisions that are inconsistent with values of some people. And I think that's also seems to be, we're seeing that a lot in Middle Tennessee. There's a lot of people from, from certain states that are migrating into Tennessee and churches are, are accommodating them. And uh, I think doing, doing a pretty good job. So is this, as you guys are in and out of conversations, is this something that you're hearing about or is that more unique to certain places like maybe Florida, like maybe Tennessee, like maybe Texas, um, and maybe, maybe some other, some other areas? Well, what's interesting, I'll ju jump in, Ken, and then, then, then let you talk. But um, I'm seeing it from both sides because I live in Tennessee. Um, so, it, it, you know, and attend a small group here and, and all of that. But I uh, also work in Southern California at Harvest and have a lot of conversations with people out there who are, um, it's, it's either they know somebody who's moving to Tennessee um, or they are thinking about moving to Tennessee um, or a family member has moved. And so we do have these conversations. And one of the things that has uh, afforded some 
just some interesting community in that way is a lot of those people have stayed connected to our groups through our online groups. Um, and I think that's not probably normal with a lot of churches. We, they did online groups and, and, you know, it kind of ran its course during COVID and then probably back to in-person. Well, because of how California is spreading out for good or bad, um, there are a lot of people living in different states that still want to connect to our church. And so we have a lot of online groups with people all over the country and the world. And a lot of them have, have, have moved. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch. What about you, Ken? So I do hear about, you know, this, uh, the migration, uh, that's taking place. I think that's exactly right. Everybody sees the license plates and we can see where people are coming from. But I hear this, you know, in churches of all sizes. This is not just, uh, you know, for the median or the larger church. This is, you know, for the normative size church too. Every one of us is probably capturing people who uh, have moved from out of state and then come into a state into a region. Some folks are chasing grandkids now. You know, they're able to move closer. Uh, they're able to select a state with better weather uh, climate uh, for their, you know, physical needs. Uh, some are able to move to a state now that maybe has uh, better offerings for uh, medical help, you know, hospitals and those kind of networks. And so uh, the reasons are myriad, but uh, I think the the opportunity for the church Guys, we better not whiff this, you know, because we've got folks that are coming. And I remember when Tammy and I first moved to Nashville 13 years ago, how lonely we were because everybody that we knew family-wise, we left back in Dallas-Fort Worth. And we knew zero people here in Tennessee. And the church uh, and our new group uh, were the lifeblood. They were the connection that we needed. And I don't think that's changed in 13 years. I think people that are coming are going to have kids, you know, that will feel displaced. You know, they've left friends and neighborhoods and schools that they knew and same thing for moms and dads. And so what a, I mean, what a great time it is for the church to step up, you know, biblical hospitality, step up assimilation efforts and, uh, and, and help these people make that transition. One thing that's interesting too, I was just listening to a podcast this morning about this actually. For some time, there's been some migration away from what they would call the coastal elite cities, uh, New York, Los Angeles, Seattle, uh, San Francisco, um, you know, Miami to some degree because of lower income workers who just can't afford it anymore. And so, uh, you know, the people that are in the service industry can't afford to live in the places they're working. And so they've been moving, moving out. Well, what's been a trend since the pandemic is uh, college educated tech people, higher income are moving out now is much or more than the lower income because they can. And it's also because of what they see they can get in other states that they can't get in a New York or, or place like that. And so I think we have to be prepared for those demographics that are, especially let's say Nashville. Nashville was one of the cities they, they, they spotlighted in this podcast at where those people are going. And so how are we serving those people that are coming in with, with a lot of skill, um, you know, entrepreneurs and tech savvy and all of that? And how are we providing or helping them find community with like-minded people? All of that we have to think through as, as this plays out. Well, and what a great infusion for the church, Chris, you know, because every one of those people, if they're believers are coming into our churches and if they do join with us, uh, which many are going to do, 
uh, God is sending people with wonderful gifts, uh, spiritual gifts, uh, yep. wonderful talents and experiences that they bring now to our churches, and they will have perspectives that we just don't. You know, it's you know, I've heard that if you really want to, uh, you know, to have a a global view, you got to travel. You you got to get out there and you know just experience the world. And most of us, you know, we can't do that. And so now the world is coming to us. You know, we've got all these people with all those backgrounds and experiences and gifting, and God is sending them right here, you know, to our churches, uh, no matter where we are. So that's pretty exciting. It's only tangential to this conversation, but the New York Times had an article earlier this week, um, and the title of it is, Can the California Effect, in quotes, Survive in a Hyperpartisan America? And it touches this subject and I think sheds some light on it and kind of interestingly. So in terms of like the practical application of this, um, I mean, what are some of the steps or check boxes or checklist uh, items that a group's ministry might have top of mind given this reality. I, Cause guys, what we're talking about, I believe that we are, if we're not on the front end of it, we're not on the back end of it. We're in the middle of it. So this is something that's going to be continuing for a season at least, and maybe longer for that. Ken, Ken I forgot all about the grandkids. I mean, the grandparents chasing grandkids aspect of it. So you've got across every generation now, I think every season of life, or let's just call them generations, would have their own motivation for 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 a migration of any kind. And so what are some ways a group's pastor can assess a readiness for this, assess a readiness for this kind of thing as we and start maybe getting a list of uh, like a, a, a checkbox list of things to be to be addressing? I mean, I know yeah. we didn't go over this in the in the production meeting. So I'm off script here. <laughs> so I'm, but, that was that was funny. Production <laughs> meeting. Yeah. But I, but I know you guys give this some thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something we've got to think about as church leaders. We, you know, I mean, they're here, uh, the people that are, are migrating, they're here. And, uh, and there are some things that if I was a full-time groups pastor or a full-time senior pastor, I would want to help my, my groups ministry think through a few things. Number one, and, and this is, this is from research. This is from experience. You know, uh, most groups, when they've been together two years, they're as big as they're going to ever be, and they close because the people have done life together. They've prayed and served together, studied together. You know, they fellowship together. And for the new people, let's just, you will just continue to use the Californians for an example. You know, you'd have a couple from California, you know, bebop into the church one Sunday morning and say, Hey, we're here and, you know, like to try a group. And we go plug them into a group's been together five or six or seven years. Um, Unless it's a very special group, good luck with that couple being assimilated because it's just difficult. Chris is nodding and you know, Chris, it's, it's a hard thing. And so mm -hmm. I think one thing a pastor has to be aware of is that your newer people are going to most likely stick quicker and build relationships faster in your newest groups. The challenge is most of our churches don't have enough new groups. And so I would put that priority number one, starting those new groups. I'd funnel every new person I got into those newest groups because they're going to stick better there. Yeah. The phrase that I've used forever is new groups for new people. 
Um, because I, I completely agree that uh, when you get into a group that has a lot of history, it's just really hard to plug in and find your place. And, you know, it just takes, takes a while unless there is a personal invite there, um, like in, inviting your neighbor to the group. And so you guys already have a connection or a coworker or something like that. But just somebody that walks into your church, hey, join this group. It's really, really hard. So new group for new people. Also, I, I think, you know, thinking through your group offerings, um, do you have stage of life groups that are going to naturally um, bring in empty nesters, people that maybe have moved in and uh, four grandkids or whatever, and they're in that stage of life, the retirement, you know, I want to hang out with each other. So do you have something that, that caters to that? Or can you start something uh, for us? When I was uh, at cross point in Nashville, it was a young professionals group. We had to have an ongoing growing midsize, what we called midsize young professional group that broke into smaller groups because we were just getting inundated with new people moving to town that were between the ages of, of 20 and 30. I mean, just nonstop. So we had to go out of our box a little bit, have a midsize instead of just your typical home group in order to accommodate the people that were coming and that kept growing and growing and growing and splitting and all of that. So, yeah. So, so thinking new groups for new people and also what kind of offerings are you, are you giving now from the California side of my job, we're um, telling everybody about the tornadoes that hit Tennessee every, (laughs) every week and um, how hot it is. And there's mosquitoes. So we're just trying to scare people to not move. That's it's, the other it's side. not working. They're still coming. Yes. Yeah. And Chris, you were, bu- and Chris, you were a terrible testimony for that. <laughs> I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, we're full. Just that was it. We're full. Wow. It seems like there might be, so you guys tell me this, um, and maybe, and maybe someone's doing it well out there, but it seems like there's a missional opportunity, um, by being organized within the, uh, neighborhoods, there have to be like every community is going to know where the hot neighborhoods are that are the the receivers of uh, of much of this migration that we're talking about, and to have an organization there, someone that's keeping their eye out, you know, for move ins and just welcoming them to the neighborhood, and as part of that natural conversation, just to develop a relationship and you know invite them in the group, and that's a way also to more naturally begin new groups. So I don't know if anyone out there is doing that well that you've heard, or if you've heard some testimony or some tweaks to that, but I'm thinking that that's probably a good a good thing to consider as well. Yeah, that that was a trend uh, a few years ago. The neighborhood groups, uh, Willow, uh, kind of was one of the big churches that started with that. Um, uh, Frenzy, 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 I think was the guy's name that, that championed that. Um, our buddy Eddie Mosley actually wrote a book around the idea of that of doing neighborhood groups. I think it's called Connecting in Communities. Um, it's always, always, always good. I think, yeah, especially now as the missional type of groups where the idea is that you're a missionary in your community and your neighborhood, all of that is probably something we need to revisit and, and look at as a strategy again. Yeah. Don't disagree with that at all. I think there is a tremendous opportunity in neighboring and being that first person there, you know, when the new family moves into the neighborhood, makes a big impression. And I think more of our churches uh, would do themselves a big favor 
by having those folks, uh, Brian, like you said, just kind of watching the neighborhood and uh, and trying to see those folks uh, as they come in. Uh, I would say uh, Houston's First uh, is a church that is making a good effort at establishing groups uh, outside their church in the community and uh, and recognizing that opportunity. And so they could be someone uh, that you could, you know, if you're curious about what they're doing, you'll reach out to their uh, education staff and uh, and just see. But, uh, yeah, what a great place to do that. In the summertime especially, you know, when things uh, are a little more casual and uh, maybe you've not uh, reached out to that new neighbor move. In fact, I've got a, a family right next door. I mean, I can look at their house through my window right now. And, uh, and they have just moved in, uh, within the last week or so. And so it's now time that, you know, they've had a chance to settle for Tammy and I to go next door and take the obligatory, you know, pizza or plate of cookies and start that conversation, you know, just introduce ourselves and then let that morph and evolve into more spiritual conversations. But that's how it's going to happen. Somebody's got to take ownership and be yep. a catalyst for it. There's also a book that uh, came out a while back, but it's called The Art of Neighboring. Um, I'll be honest with you, I haven't read the whole thing. I've read excerpts, but I know a lot of groups pastors have talked about it. It's a big a big book on just how to, how to be a neighbor and how to influence people just right outside your door. I know we've got to wrap up, but I think this is a, as a third bullet and the list that you guys came up with, this is the idea of hospitality, which is, which is quite a bit yeah. different from door to door evangelism that some of us grew up with. It's the art of hospitality yeah. or the art of neighboring. And that's Chris, that's exactly what I was going to suggest is maybe, maybe there's an emphasis on what hospitality is. And that your church context can can lead and model that in any given community, uh, how to reach out and how to be at a hospital, how to open up your home, you know, maybe maybe what not to do. Not everybody does that well, but some of that just has to do with confidence. And because most of us, I don't know, it's, I think the joke in the South is, hey, let's get together sometime soon. And that's really just a way to say, I'm done with this conversation, but it, I, I enjoyed it. You don't, you don't really, yeah. you don't really mean I'm going to reach out to you and we're going to, we're going to invite you over. But we should mean that more often when we say it is what I would say. So there's some, there's some things, there's some things. So Ken, thank you for being with us. Uh, it's always good. And I think you've moved from green jacket to gold jacket to platinum, platinum jacket. Ooh. I, I look forward to the day. Hey, I'll settle for a uh, group answers t-shirt, guys. Well, well we got to get that going. It's a great and callback. <laughs> we got to get production meetings going. Good. Both of those things. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. This is Brian Daniel for Ken Brady and Chris Ratt signing off. And as always, uh, love, love hearing those comments. You can uh, choose to subscribe to the show and anywhere that you listen to the group answers, and that's always great. You have to find us by accident or go looking every time. We just come right to your inbox. Until next time, thanks for being with us.